In 2015, we continue on our theme of walking worthy of your calling. We have been looking at this whole idea of our calling and how to walk in it. The theme verse that we have uh, really been dwelling on and thinking about, studying about, preaching about, and hopefully that you've been living through is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, where Paul says, There I therefore urge you, therefore, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So as we think about this calling, we have looked at our individual calling. We looked at our calling as a collective body. We spent the summer talking about our outward attitudes and behaviors through our holiness. And right now we are in a series that we've called Walk Like Jesus, where we are going through the Sermon on the Mount and really delving into not just the outward behavior, but the inward attitudes and actions of the heart. We talked last uh, week as we've gone through the Sermon on the Mount about the Beatitudes and how Jesus called us to live a blessed life, that if we understand the blessed perspective of living, then we understand uh, how we can live as light even when the world gets very dark, how we can live as salt when the world is very evil, very bland, and very godless. And so our theme verse for this series of Walking Like Jesus is not from the Sermon on the Mount, but from 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, where the apostle of love writes this, Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. So we're looking currently at walking like Jesus and how he called us to walk. Last week we said, number one, he calls us to walk boldly. That when we change our thinking, when we transform our mind to be the Christ-like mind, it affects a very, it affects our, how we live and reduce, results in a very different way of living. The salt and light kind of Mentality. There is a, a phrase that goes something like this. It will cause you to go further than you intended to go. It will cost you more than you intended to pay. And it will make you stay longer than you intended to stay. Have you heard that phrase? I can't remember what that phrase is about. It's um, an S word. Uh, oh, yeah, the state fair. <laughs> so yesterday we go to the state fair, uh, a fool's errand. I tell myself every year this is the last year. Uh, Jesus does not need this in my life. And <laughs> but my children do, apparently. So we keep going back. And if you've ever been to the state fair, I'm sorry, but you get there and it, it's the crowds, it's the, the chaos, it's all of the noise and the lights. And, uh, and then uh, it's the food, which is something along the lines of nutritional terrorism. Uh, it, it all sorts of a whole bunch of stuff that you know you shouldn't eat. And you not only eat it, but you pay heavily for it. Before and after. It is one of those life experiences that I keep going and saying, why, oh, why do you do this to yourself, Levering? 
Well, yesterday was that day, and uh, as we went through and went through all the rides, and Grace and Tyler did that, and then we, we did all the weird foods, and we saw some cool exhibits and all of that. And uh, the last thing, it's kind of been our tradition for the last couple of years, is that as we finish our day at the fair, we do one ride all together, um, and that is the Ferris wheel, the big one. And you get in there, and uh, you go up very slowly. And as you go up very slowly away from the, the lights and the chaos, the commotion, the cost, the bad food and all of that, and you get up to the top and everything's eerily quiet, and you realize a couple of lessons about the fair. Number one, it's just a temporary state of being. It won't last forever. And number two, it's good to get away from the chaos and the commotion and get some perspective. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is calling us to get in a spiritual Ferris wheel of sorts. To get in this uh, ride together. And slowly he takes us up to a much higher plane where we get a little perspective. Begin to understand that though life is crazy, chaotic, costful, and full of consequences, it's not a permanent situation. As we get the perspective that Jesus had on it, uh, we will learn to live amongst that chaos without being overwhelmed by it. This week we're going to understand that Jesus calls his followers to a higher standard. We said that last week to some degree. But it is more than about knowing about Jesus. You have to know Jesus. It's more than just being a fan of what Jesus said. It's actually following and applying what he taught. Our righteousness has to exceed the Pharisees and the teachers of the law by being a righteousness that isn't just outward. That isn't just for public view, but it's a righteousness that's inward and private. That our righteousness must not only be for other people to see that they may praise their Father in heaven, but it also must be a very private, personal, real relationship that we have. So Jesus calls us to this higher standard by saying a phrase several different times. We're going to look at each of the times he said that and what he uh, spoke to us about. The phrase that he'll call us to the higher standard where he calls out the called out is, You have heard it was said, but I tell you, and then he goes on to Drill down into this particular area. Whenever you see this phrase, you've heard that it was said, but I tell you, you need to understand that Jesus is calling you to rise above, to take your righteousness from a rules-based thing to a relationship-oriented process. He's calling you out and he's asking you to do more than just modify your outward behavior. Indeed, all of Christianity is is about that. It's more than just making the outside look good. It is about inward heart transformation. Being honest, the outward transformation is pretty easy to do. 
And we can say the right things. We, we learn Christians speak pretty easily. We know the things we ought to probably do and uh, certainly the things, the way which we ought to act in public. But Jesus calls us to transform your heart, to yield fully to Christ, uh, not just outwardly, but inwardly. That's hard to do. It's much harder to do. How do we do that? I'm going to I'm going to say if you want a heart transformation, you have to do two things. One is you have to let the word of God instruct you. Hebrews chapter four, verse 12 says this. The word of God is like a sword. It cuts deep. It divides every part. What is that telling us? God's word cuts you like a surgeon cuts you. I don't know if you've ever had surgery before, but if you ever have, you understand that you pay a well-educated man or woman to intentionally wound you. They cut you, they hurt you in order to heal you. Hebrews 4.12 is like, says the word of God is like that. If you're going to undergo heart transformation, you have to let the word of God instruct you. Then you have to let the spirit of God construct you. You have to let him not just cut out the things that shouldn't be there, but to build the things in your heart and in your life that need to be there. If you want a spiritual, heartful transformation, you got to let the word instruct. you got to let the spirit construct. Now, when we do that, when we understand it's heart transformation, one final thing, Jesus didn't come for you to make him Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. And he will be acknowledged as such eventually at some point. Philippians 2 tells us every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. The fact that he is Lord is not arguable. The question then is whether you will yield in faithful submission to him. In this life. The question is whether your tongue will confess. Whether your knee will bow. While it's still up to you. Or if you'll wait until it's not up to you. So there are five areas. And there's more than five in the Sermon on the Mount. But we're just going to look at five today. Where Jesus calls us to faithful submission. And this gets this gets much deeper than holiness. This gets much more down to the heart of the matter and heart matters are hard to deal with and address and correct but jesus i believe by his words will do so so what i need you to do is open up to matthew 5 verses 21 through 26 now i could have put it on the screen for you i could have but that doesn't get you in the word where it can instruct you so I, I love to hear the sound of pages wrestling. It's the sound of angels applauding. Uh, but I also love to see iPhones out and iPads out and lots of scrolling because I know that you're serious about what Jesus had to say. Not just so much so that you can fill in the outline on your handout, but so that you can fill it in your life so that you can put it there. So Matthew five twenty one through 26 I'm reading from the NIV. You may have a different version, but let's work through together. 
You've heard it was said, those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be held liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So, if you are offering your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to the court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the full penalty. Jesus calls us to faithfully reconcile your relationships. You have likely never murdered someone. Uh, I can tell you honestly, I have never murdered someone with my hands. I have never uh, cast the life out of a human being by my own physical effort. But I have murdered people many times over in my heart. I am a serial killer of the heart. Jesus says, this starts with this. When this is dealt with, it's not about gun control, I'm sorry. It is about heart control. When the world yields its heart to Jesus, we'll see the murder rate drop to zero. This is where he calls us, that we got to deal not with the physical ending of a life. We have to deal with the heart of the murderer. Jesus says effectively that if you don't deal with anger, it, it leads to a murder. It can, that's no murder ever started with the heart that was in the right place. I call this the, uh, the Shane Plasinski problem. Uh, no, I didn't murder Shane Plasinski. You don't know Shane Plasinski. Shane Plasinski was in a, a youth group where I, uh, at a church that I served with. Shane was kind of an awkward kid, a, a little bit pudgy, and uh, had these weird, thick glasses. And he was socially awkward. He was just kind of an awkward person. We had these events in the youth group called Sundays at Subway, uh, which was a beautiful, wonderful, spiritual event uh, where I would take the children uh, to Subway. We would all have uh, six-inch sandwiches and at that time, they give you little stamps so that I called them Subway Welfare, and you just put them up. And, and I'd fill my cards up, and I'd have Subway lunch all week long. It was a fish and loaves kind of miracle. So we go to Sunday at Subway this particular Sunday, and all the kids are getting in the van. Now, I had a smaller youth group. Just 10 or 12 kids, so I just needed one van. As Shane Plasinski got in the van, I noticed he was a little bit pale. I said, how you doing, Shane? He said, I, I don't know. I'm all right. I feel a little weird today. I, didn't, I just let that go. See, I, I should have done something about it, but I, I didn't. I let the problem go. We drove to Subway. happened to be that Subway was closed that evening. And so I had to come up with a plan B, and the plan B was the Chinese restaurant right next to Subway that happened to be open. And so 
explain the problem to the kids, say, we're going to go have Chinese. It'll be Sunday at the Chinese restaurant instead of Sunday at Subway. So they all agree to that, and they unload out of the van, and, and Shane sits down inside the Chinese restaurant, opens it up, and said, man, this food looks gross. I should have I should have done something about that, but I, I didn't. We get back in the van. As Shane's getting back in the van, he's more pale and drips of uh, sweat, beads of sweat are on his forehead. And I said, Shane, you, you doing all right? He said, that, that Chinese food made me feel a little weird. I, I should have done something about it, but I didn't. I let Shane get in the back row of the youth group van, loaded everybody in, buckled them in put it in drive, moved about 25 feet, when from the back of the van comes something sounding like an exorcism. <laughs> there is weeping and gnashing of teeth as teenagers and youth minister alike are bailing for the door. It's like a Chinese fire drill in there, the parking lot of the strip mall. And as I'm... Later, cleaning up the mess, I learned the lesson of Shane Plasinski, which is deal with the small problems quickly before they become big problems. Now, I can tell a funny story like that, but you all know of people that you don't talk to anymore because you let too many days go by without working things out. You know, people that won't walk by each other at church because they let too many days pass, too many little things get in the way. You all of a sudden see someone blow up at someone for no good reason at your place of work because they didn't learn the lesson of Shane Plasinski. You gotta deal with your relationship problems quickly. So I want you to think just right now, very quickly, close your eyes. Stop looking at me. Close your eyes. Some of you are already there. Close your eyes. <laughs> think now for a second that person that you need to reconcile with and you know it and you haven't been doing it and God's calling you to it and you're waiting for a sign from Him. This is the sign. God says, work it out. Do not delay or it's going to cause a big problem. Okay? Now you can open your eyes back again. Keep them open. And remember that Jesus calls you to reconcile your relationships. So do it today. Let's move on. Matthew 5, 27 through 32. You've heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with a lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than for the whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Jesus calls us to faithfully keep 
your covenant. If you are married, there was a time when you went before a priest, a a judge, a minister, and you stood in front of someone and you held their hands and you looked in their eyes and you promised, for better for worse, for richer for poorer, in sickness and in health, to be true. You, you made that declaration in front of the minister standing there, in front of the judge or whoever. You made that declaration in front of the witnesses. But you made that declaration, most importantly, to God. And God calls you to keep your covenant and to guard your covenant with your life. And we live in an age, I would say an age now, but it was an age back then. Jews had rules that, that if a woman, uh, a man's wife, burned the toast, he might have then a liable reason to submit to her a certificate of divorce. But Jesus said that's not what God called us to be. Jesus addresses lust as the heart of adultery. Someone once said that lust is the problem. Adultery is the expression. And divorce is the result. So we have to guard our hearts. And if you're married, you've got to not only guard your heart and you've got to guard your covenant, but you've got to guard your eyes. You make a covenant with your eyes just as Job called us to do. But... You know, we, we have to train ourselves to do that. That's not a natural thing. The question is, how do we train? This is a, this is a non-biblical. I'm just going to try to give you a helpful hint here. And I decided to choose a young man because who else am I going to choose? <laughs> what else? Okay. So, Dalton Everhart, come here. Now, I told Dalton what I was going to talk about, and I said, I need some help with that. And Dalton said, but I'm not a lustful guy. Now, I'm going to stand before you and testify that Dalton's not a a lustful guy. That's not why I'm bringing him. Oh, no, you're you're right. Uh, uh, Dalton's not a lustful guy. He's like, I I got a girlfriend. You know, I I got to, you know, don't put me in any awkward situations here. I said, yes, I I understand. Dalton, I have a wife. (laughs) I got to be careful what I say here. but, But I need to ask you something, Dalton, as you look around this group of people. Are there lots of pretty girls here today? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Just because you have a girlfriend or just because you have a wife, it doesn't mean you stop noticing beauty. Jesus didn't say be unrealistic. He said he didn't say it was wrong to look at a woman. He said it was wrong to look with lustful intent. It's not the first look that's the problem. It's the second, third, fourth, fifth look. So what do we do? How do we, how do we, and, and Jesus specifically addressed men here. This is not a, so women, just close your ears so you don't have to listen to this. Men, what do we do when we see lots of pretty girls? Because there's lots of them. This would be a right time for an amen. I'm going to give you three steps. Uh, Number one, you need to thank God. I call this I thank. 
So when Dalton, you see a pretty girl, the first thing you ought to do is think and to remember her creator in the days of your youth. Okay, so let's pretend you see a girl. What's the first thing you should say? Thank you, God, for beautiful girls. That's okay to say. Listen, guys, God made beautiful sunsets and beautiful flowers. We should not have a problem acknowledging that God made women to be beautiful. In the creation account, when Adam wakes up from divine anesthesia, he gives this whole speech about bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. What's he saying? Whoa, baby. Is the exact Hebrew translation there. When you see a beautiful woman, man, men, you should remember her creator. I thank. Now, the second thing we got to deal with is the second, third look and so on. We got to get away from that. So we got to learn to bounce our eyes so that we see the beautiful woman and we appreciate her beauty, but we don't let our heart go to places where it shouldn't. So we need to distract our eyes. Dalton, do you know anything that you and your generation might use to distract yourself every once in a while? First step, I thank. Second step, I phone. Or whatever your particular, if you're an Android device, that didn't really work in the illustration. Okay, so first step, I thank. Second step, I phone. Now, he's, what he's doing here is distracting himself from the awkwardness of this illustration. But he's also distracting himself from ke- keeping his eyes from lingering in places where they shouldn't. Dalton has a girlfriend. He's committed to her. He loves her, I assume. He, he, he doesn't want to get in trouble. So he appreciates. He says, I thank you, God. And then he stops looking. That might be someone else's wife. Someone else's girlfriend. He's got to distract his eyes. Third step. He's already acknowledged God. He's already removed his eyes from the situation. While you got your head down, what should you do? He said, pray. Step number one. I thank. Step number two. I phone. Step number three. I pray. What should you pray for? God, I need your help. I need your help to see that girl as you see her. See all those beautiful girls out there? They are his daughters. And dads, you know what a special thing a daughter is. And so you want her to be treated as you treat her and as you see her. I see. Now, I think then if we will train our young men to thank God, to train their eyes, and to th- to ask for God's help, for strength, and to see them as God sees them, we'll deal fully with the adultery problem. But it starts right here. Thank you, Dalton, for coming up and being awkward with me. we got to gouge out the problem areas. And we got to... And Jesus talks about gouging out eyes, and that makes us nervous. I think what he's saying there is deal with the problem. If you're feeding your lust with looking at pornography on your cell phone, then pitch the cell phone. If you're feeding your lust on a home computer late at night after the family's gone to bed, then chuck the computer. 
This is not helping. Feed your heart the right things and remember to keep your word. You keep your word to the people who witnessed. Keep your word to your wife. And most of all, keep your word to God. This morning, even as we gather together, Al and Helen Alliston are celebrating 56 years of keeping their promise. That's right. That's appropriate. Yeah. We ought to honor those who do and encourage those who are just getting started. Chapter 5, verses 33 through 37. Again, you've heard it said of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, it is the, the Lord's or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is his city. Do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Jesus calls us faithfully to mind your mouth. We've talked a little bit about this, but... First thing is we have to speak truthfully. We have to say exactly what we mean. A couple of weeks ago, we were having a garage sale at our home. And Christy and I are at the table. We're minding the sale. It's day one, mind you. I've got an item that's out there for $8. Guy comes up to me and says, would you take $3 for that? I said, well, you know, I mean, it... It's day one. How about $4? We're in big money now. He looks at me and he says, I'm sorry, man. My wife gave me a $3 limit today. That's a lie. He knows that's a lie. I know it's a lie. He tarnished his character. He spoiled his reputation. He threw his wife under the bus for a dollar. Don't uh, speak in the language of white lies. Don't tell lies when it's convenient. Say what you mean. Steve Tandy is one of the best people I know at this, not just because he speaks from here, but you listen to him, he'll never say anything that he does not mean. He speaks with precision. Say what you mean. Don't say yes to everything. Some people think that's honorable. Will you do this? Yes, we do that. Yes. Can you ever count on those people? No. Don't say yes unless you mean it. Keep your word. Commit and follow through. Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 42. You've heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek... Turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks. Do not refuse the one who would borrow. Jesus calls us to faithfully resign our rights. We understand when he's Lord, I'm not in charge anymore. I don't own any right to myself or even to my property. It is his. And if someone wants to take it from me, all they did was take Jesus's stuff. It doesn't matter. If, if someone wants to insult you, turn the other cheek. 
Because all they did, if you are his, is insult Christ. If they want to sue you, if they want to take stuff from you, why are you holding on to it so hard? Do you trust in yourself or do you trust in your stuff? And some people say, whoa, that's extreme. Yeah, yeah, Jesus called us to resign our rights to ownership instead, understanding that we are stewards, that we don't own it all. He owns it all. And if someone else needs it, uh, they have to speak to the one who owns it. They have to deal with him. Go above and beyond. Give above and beyond the best time. The right time to show Christ is when you have been wronged. Because we put our trust in God and we let him handle those things instead of trying to handle it ourselves. Now we're in Matthew chapter 5 again. You've heard that it was said you'll love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father. Who is in heaven for he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good and he sends rain on the just and the unjust for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you only greet your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles do that. Therefore, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And finally, Jesus calls us to love perfectly. You got to love those who are like you. You got to love those who are unlike you. You even got to love those who are against you. Because metalheads love other metalheads, and prostitutes love other prostitutes, and atheists love other atheists, and athletes love other athletes, and hunters love other hunters. That's easy to do. Jesus calls us to rise above and love those not like us, love those even against us. So love your enemies. First thing, be patient with them, be kind to them, don't be rude or easily angered toward them. Your prayer list then, and if you don't fill out this part, the sermon has been worthless. When we ask for prayer, be it in our small group or our class, I'm guilty of who do I think of? Who do I want to pray for? People I love, people who are like me. I have yet to sit through a prayer request where someone specifically, sincerely, asks for prayers for an enemy. But that is what Jesus calls us to. Praying for your enemy shows that, one, you trust in God. You remember the 23rd Psalm. uh, The psalmist says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. We don't worry about being around our enemies because we've already prayed for them. And if... They're in the right. God's going to deal justly with us. And if uh, if we're in the right, God's going to deal justly with them. So go ahead, fill it out. Your prayer list should be your enemies list. I, I hope you'll write down at least one name of a person who's against you. A person that when you when you start thinking of them, you just you'll toss and turn and, and hurt your heart. Jesus calls you not to keep them in your heart, but to pray for them in your heart. This shows our trust in God and it shows our love for God. And why do we do that? Because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. The Apostle John wrote. So being perfect 
means not that we love people when they, when they finally come around to our way of thinking. Not that we love people when, when they finally come and apologize. No, that's what Jesus, what Jesus said. Jesus calls us to love as the Father loves. Think about this. God loves all his kids, even the good ones. God loves all his kids, even the rebellious ones. God loves all his kids, even the smart ones. God loves all his kids, even the dumb ones. God loves all his kids, even the ones who don't love him. Atheists and all sorts of people still experience God's beauty in, in flowers and tasty food and newborn babies and a, a vacation at the beach and a gentle rain on an early morning. God is good in many ways to all of us. And so then he calls us to walk not just boldly, but faithfully. Faithfully walk in your relationships, faithfully walk in, your, in the covenant, faithfully walk in how you use your mouth, faithfully in how you use your rights, and faithfully in how you love. You may say, these are hard things. Yep. You say, that was a hard sermon. Mm-hmm. But I didn't preach it. Jesus did. And that's who he calls us to be. You cannot do this by your own power. You can only do it by his power. And so if you're ready to make him Lord, and if you're ready to yield your heart to him, then do that. Because you won't do anything by your power, but only by his power and by his spirit. And by his power, you can and you will. But not until you make him Lord. If you need to come down this morning and finally yield your mouth and your tongue and your knees to the Lordship of Christ, or more importantly, your heart to his call, we pray that you will. As together we stand and sing.